Welcome to I'm Game with Fred Croner. Today I'm joined by Jay Lehman, who is a Champaign Central graduate, uh, played football at the University of Illinois, All-American honors there, uh, had some time with uh, some NFL teams over the years, and then uh, since getting out of that, it's just a little bit of everything. Uh, uh, sells real estate, works for the Big Ten Network, coaches youth football. Uh, first of all, Jay, welcome. Hey, thanks a lot, Fred, for having me on. So where I want to start is actually none of those. I want to start with how did you get hooked up with Dennis Rican and, and doing commercials for uh, Dick Van Dyke? I think probably about everybody has seen those where you you go and tackle somebody. Well, that, that's that's probably what I'm most famous for. It's not the Big Ten Network. <laughs> it's not playing for Illinois. It's not selling houses or investing in real estate. Uh, it's that. And it really happened where, you know, I was moving back to Champaign about five years ago. And, you know, I just had an idea and my dad actually had an idea hey what if we just asked for you know hey in exchange for some money off of appliance would they want me to do an advertisement and we got talking and Dennis thought oh it might be a good idea and I think it worked well enough that you know long since that that time has passed I've, I've done four or five commercials for him and it's been a been a good time so what that makes me wonder, do you, do you wish you were still an athlete and involved with the NIL? Because I would think uh, with name, image, and, and like this, that would be a chance for you to, to make some money that way. Yeah, I, I think I was born 15 years too late, <laughs> uh, 15 years too early, rather. And, um, you know, now those guys, uh, you know, may, make hay on appliance deals, car deals, and everything else. I'm not sure they make hay at Illinois, but I know other schools have been obviously paying out very well. How do you feel about that, the, the NIL? I mean, there's there's two sides to it. Obviously, you know, that the athletes get some money when, you know, they, they probably don't have a lot of opportunities, especially during the school year when they're working with their sports, but there can sure. be some downside too. So how, how do you feel about that? Well, I think it's gotten a little bit out of control. Do I think the athletes should be compensated in some way? Sure. Um, they, they were already getting scholarship checks. They were already getting, you know, already getting three meals a day. Uh, lots of their gear and clothes uh, paid for, but I do think they could earn something because honestly, they, you know, especially in some of the marquee sports, men's basketball, uh, men's football, and even women's volleyball, that those were paying the majority of the bills as far as the TV and media rights go. So I do think athletes should get something in regard to that. Uh, now, is it, are the people that are getting paid, is that creating some competitive advantage for that team? I don't know. We saw Texas A&M, who has a $4.4 million payroll for their football team, just get beat by App State. So I'm not sure it really helps, right? Because we're seeing these teams get beat by teams they shouldn't get beat, and these teams are getting paid, and these guys aren't getting paid. So um, do I think they should get paid something? Yes. I think it needs to have some more regulations. Yeah, no doubt about it. So your, your football career has kind of gone full cycle from, you know, playing for the Maroons, uh, playing for the Illini. Right stints with the NFL and now you're doing some youth football coaching uh, here in Muhammad with the fifth grade team tell me kind of how that got started and, and what it's like to be a youth football coach yeah it's a great question well my son is finally old enough I wait until fifth grade to let him play padded football and um, you know I have one son so I said hey you know where else where better place to be than to spend time and uh, he's going to go to practice every day so I'm going to go to practice as well and um, I'm not a, I'm not the head coach. I'm not even the defensive corner. I'm just, just an assistant coach. And I help out teaching tackling, teaching the offensive line. Um, and it's a lot of fun, you know, currently we're four and zero, but we're playing a five and zero Effingham team uh, this weekend. And so that'll be a, that'll be a great challenge for us. 
and we'll finish up the season uh, next the week after that against Mattoon. So hopefully we can uh, we can run the table, but we got we got the flaming hearts of Effingham down in Effingham. So it's going to be a tough battle for the fifth graders, I think. Well, I would think with your credentials, you could coach football about anywhere and at, at any level. Uh, was it just because of your son you chose that level as opposed to maybe getting involved with some high school teams? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, there were some opportunities. Um, got a couple of phone calls for, for high school and whatnot. But um, at this stage of my life, it's just not feasible. That's feasible. But I mean, just I'd not where I want to spend my time. I've got, you know, three kids under, you know, 10 and under and uh, very busy with career and a lot of weekends, I'm gone with the Big Ten Network as well, which, uh, you know, unfortunately, you miss all of your Friday night games. So just not really feasible for me to coach high school ball right now. What are your thoughts overall on football? And where I'm going with this is you see schools like Urbana that can't field a varsity team sure. this year, can't. A lot of schools don't even have junior varsity teams. They may have a varsity team. What, what, what do you think is the state of, of football at, at the lower levels right now? I think the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, right? I mean, I think if you have uh, a school that really values football and populations coming into that town, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be, a pre, you know, football is a, is a number sport, kind of like track and field. you got to have numbers to have some kind of sustainability there. Uh, those teams are going to get better. It's, it's, I, I'm, I'm heartbroken when I see, I believe Fisher doesn't have a varsity program this year and Urbana right. doesn't have a varsity program. So I'm, I'm heartbroken. You know, Urbana is a, is a proud program, you know, over the years. And, and it's really kind of fallen on hard times, you know, down below a thousand students. And I think that's that's hard to stomach when you think about the great Champaign-Urbana rivalries kind of yesteryear. And so uh, do I think that football is alive and well? I do. Uh, but do I think that it's getting increasingly difficult in some school districts to get kids to go out with all the different options that are out there for kids to go out in? And I don't think the pandemic helped a lot either when it came to football. Uh, I think that was kind of the, uh, the, the last kind of straw that broke the camel's back for Urbana's program, and they just have not recovered from that. And, you know, when you think about Urbana back in the 60s and 70s, their coach then, Warren Smith, was really one of the forefathers of getting the, the playoffs started. He was the one that, that pushed it and kind of, you know, got, got it going in Illinois. So it's kind of almost ironic that, that now Urbana, you know, can't even qualify for the playoffs because they don't have a varsity team. Well, you know, I remember, uh, you know, my high school coach was Jeff Trigger and it was Jeff Hosenstab after that. But, but yeah, obviously, Tommy Stewart had had a lot of battles with Warren Smith and that was the game, uh, Champaign High versus Urbana, before they uh, created Centennial. Um, but that was the game, and they had a lot of battles uh, in there, and um, great tradition, right? And and really cool atmosphere. I've always loved that Urbana football field, just right next to the high school, kind of tucked in there, just behind the uh, the school, and it's kind of close to the university. And I just think what what it would be, it would be really cool to go back and watch a game at McKinley Field, Champaign Urbana. And watch it over there at Urbana's field. And uh, I think it'd be fun to watch back in that era where high school football was so well attended. So let's talk about some of the other things you do. Uh, analyst for the Big Ten Network. I believe you're going into year 11 now. How Kind of how did that get started and, and how has that expanded over the years? Yeah, so it's, I would say it's year 11 as far as me be doing it, doing it consistently. But what I did, hadn't shared with you, Fred, is that, you know, it was really started in 2008. I'm, you know, 
I was fortunate that 2007 was the first year of the Big Ten Network. Now, Illinois happened to be good at, you know, you were covering for the newspaper this time, so you knew this. Illinois was good in 2007, went to the Rose Bowl. And so I kind of had a lot of relationship with uh, the media members there that were part of that. Well, in 2008, there was a show called The Journey, which they did specifically on the University of Illinois. And I had a producer fly all the way out to Mankato, Minnesota, the training camp of the Minnesota Vikings, and want to interview me uh, for 30 minutes during training camp. And honestly, that's a long interview for during training camp, but I, I granted that request. And he was so grateful to me. He said, man, if you need anything, you let me know and I'll try to help you. Just give me a call. So um, it wasn't but three weeks later that I got cut from the Minnesota Vikings trying to make that football team. And I was out of work. And so I remember calling this individual up and saying, hey, remember when you told me if I ever need anything, call me. <laughs> and I said, I'm not asking for a job. I'm certainly not asking you to do me any, you know, anything. I asked him for a favor, though, that I would just have an audition with the Big Ten Network. So it was really in 2008, I auditioned, uh, started doing kind of a, a pregame show with them and then some sideline while I was playing bouncing between teams from 2008, 2011 and 2012. I came on full uh, full time during the falls. Uh, and, and did sideline and, and announced games and did the studio and, you know, have had a good run there for the last 11 years. But that's how it started by making a phone call to somebody that interviewed me in the past. So, so what is your current role? What, what duties do you have with the Big Ten? I mean, right now, I'm, I, I, you know, I, I would say I kind of peaked in my roles probably in 2018 and 2019. I was doing two or three studio shows a week and, and I was doing eight to nine games a year. Now I'm only doing, you know, three, three four games a year announcing and then I, i'm actually fine with that with with all the different things that are going on in my family you know i can't go to every game with coaching youth football and my kids are kind of getting to that point where they want me around on weekends so i want to put my family first but it's been a good run and you know still do a radio show on 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 espn radio uh with lante uh espn 93.5 at four o'clock on mondays where we do uh, an illinois and college football roundup so the big 10 network the, the traveling all probably gives you a little less time to watch some of the Illini games, right? Yeah, you know, shoot, I've got I've got YouTube TV now and with all these apps, you know, I'm not saying as I was driving to Indiana or whatever, I, I'm watching games, but you know, I am watching, you can watch games from anywhere. So I'm prepping for Indiana. I'm at the stadium getting ready for the game. It was a night game at seven o'clock. So I was watching that whole game from my from my from my phone. And so I'm able to watch, but I'm able, I'm not able to go. But I do watch uh, I love I love Big Ten and football in 60. It's a good show that's just 60 minutes of the game and just shows the plays. And so I catch up with the game on Sunday if I haven't seen it live. What was the transition like for you to go from being a player to kind of being the, the guy in the broadcast booth? What what things did you have to learn and what, what came naturally and what were some of the struggles? Well, I think being an Illinois guy, I think it was always hard not to say we when you did an Illinois game, right? <laughs> you had to be not biased. That was the trickiest thing at first. Um, I think really for me, you know, if you think about announcers, Fred, um, there's a day there. We just have a deluge of former quarterbacks and offensive players. And, and largely the game is announced from an offensive perspective when the analyst talks. Uh, and, and maybe that's what the fans want because offense put fan in the stands. But I think there's so much more to the game uh, that we don't talk about, which is the defense perspective. And I've always tried to prepare for games like I would pre prepare for announcing games like I would be actually playing in the game and so when they come out in this certain formation what are their tendencies what is the personnel that there is is it one back one tight end and three receivers is it two backs one tight end and two receivers is it down in distance you know what is the situation in the game 
uh, what has worked in the first quarter to set up what's going to happen in the third quarter. What are my keys as a middle linebacker, as a safety, as a defensive end, as a corner? Um, so I, I try to bring that perspective along with some energy and, and, and humor. And uh, I like it. I don't know if everybody else likes it, but it's certainly a different view than what you would have or a different listen than what you would have listening to a former quarterback. Well, no, I, I kind of get what you're talking about. I, I helped teach a sports media camp over at Danville Community College for about nice. almost 20 years. And one of the things we always told the, the campers when you're in the broadcast booth, the things you always have to do, time and score. You have to tell how much time is left and what the score is, especially if you're on, on radio because people can't see and, and don't know what's going on. Well, that's a great point. I mean, radio, you're painting the picture for people, right? And um uh, you you really got to set the formation and and you as from there's a play by play role and then the analyst role kind of has a has to be give enough time for the play by play to set that up the TV a lot of times you know does the talking for you and the tempo is so fast you know it's not a forty second huddle all the time right I mean the tempo is so fast that sometimes you don't say anything between plays and I think as an analyst I'm not a play by play but as an analyst my big job is to say why did something happen right. Not say, oh, wow, what a great run by Chase Brown. Well, why was it a great run? Was it because of his vision, his cutting ability? Was it the block by Isaiah Adams that sprung him or a missed tackle? Tell me why. So do you work with a number of different play-by-play uh, -play people? And then how hard is that when, you know, you might work with one person uh, one week and then not see that person the rest of the year? And how hard is that to, to kind of get used to? I think it is tricky. You know, it's not just the play-by-play person, too. It's your producer who's going to, you know, produce the whole show. It's your director who's basically going to pick what camera angles you're going to see. It's your sideline reporter. So uh, I think if you do stuff together, um, you know, in life, you become better together. But uh, at the same time, I was never at the level where, like, I got the same crew every week or the same partner every week. And that's okay. I think it, it takes some getting used to. And I think you'll hear us talk over each other two or three times where maybe that wouldn't happen with a Kirk Herbstreit or Chris Fowler as much, but they've also repped it a lot more together than I have. So do you, do you have any kind of signal when you're in there as to, you know, when it's your turn or do you just kind of talk when you, when you feel like you should? Well, you, you do get a rhythm when you kind of, you know, we all have natural pauses and then people will talk just like we're talking in this conversation. Right. But, um, for me, it was, it's, it's really just hand motions. Uh, I'll tell him to keep going if I'm not going to say anything. And then I'll also just point to me if, you know, I want to say something and he'll wrap up his thought. You've also got a producer talking to your, talking to your ear saying, Hey, this is coming up. We're going to commercial in seven seconds and be able to be able to talk clearly while someone's talking to your ear can sometimes be distracting, take some practice. Well, I bet. We'll talk a little bit about uh, spending some time uh, with some NFL teams. I think you're with four or five over the years, so I'm sure you got to see some, you know, different coaches, different philosophies, uh, different strategies. What, what was that experience like? Uh, you know, it was a good experience. I, I got to say that I, I was probably just hit the peak of my potential uh, at the NFL. I mean, I just wasn't quite the athlete I needed to stick as far as being able to move in space and pass coverage and whatnot. I started with the Vikings in 2008, was cut. And then 2009, got, got in the camp with um, the Carolina Panthers. Had a solid camp, but wasn't able to make that football team, but got picked up immediately on practice squad by the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, I thought it was going great. Even told my wife, hey, move out here. This is the team we're going to make it. Andy Reid was the coach there. Don McNabb was the, uh, uh, was the quarterback. And then in week six, I think three or four defensive backs got hurt in one game. And they need more defensive backs. That was the first linebacker to go. So then I got cut and uh, 
two or three weeks later, I got shipped out to uh, San Diego's practice squad and um, then got, got cut from there. But soon after that, got picked up by the Minnesota Vikings again and we got put on active roster and was on active roster and for, you know, four or five games into the NFC championship game where we played the New Orleans Saints, kind of the bounty gate game where, where, where Brett Favre got hurt. And there were some bounties on him and um, then uh, stayed with the Vikings that year and in camp had a really tough injury, uh, had a bad, bad turf toe, took me out two or three months and that was an unfortunate time with me. I had to go to a lower league called United Football League for two or three games to try to get some good film. And that got me back in practice squad with the San Diego Chargers. And then I finished up the season with San Diego in the next season. Uh, I got cut by San Diego and uh, finished up with the Oakland Raiders. So for, through all that, I think the most disappointing thing for me was, although I was on the active roster, I never actually got into a, a game. Uh, and so you play four years, you practice, um, you do all that you can do. But uh, all you got into was a preseason game, not a regular season game. So it took me a while to get over that. But I also realized that I did it. I did the best I could with what I had. And, um, you know, I don't lose much sleep over it now. What, what were your thoughts growing up? Was that always a goal, you know, from high school on first to, to play at the college level and then to go from there to, to try to play professionally? Or is that just something that kind of evolved as your career kind of took off? I think growing up in a college town, you, you, you strive to be playing college football right I, I think I of course I wanted to to play in the NFL but I certainly wasn't a highly touted recruit and, and much of a late bloomer in high school really um you know it was the eighth game actually central played Urbana at the stadium in 2002 and um you know ended up having the best game of my probably high school career one of them had 29 tackles uh, lots of big plays in that one game and uh, was offered a scholarship by Illinois after that game and, um, you know, I don't think Lauren Tate even knew who I was or anybody <laughs> knew who I was or Bob Asmussen or anybody. And I think Lauren came to the game against Decatur MacArthur the next week. And, you know, that was one of the more famous games that I had that I really, I had 17 tackles and interception for a touchdown. I ran for a touchdown and six or seven tack sacks and, and three block punts. And that was all in the first half. And I think Lauren was convinced <laughs> that, I, that I could play at that point. And so, um, <clears throat> That's what led me to Illinois. When I got to Illinois, I felt like I was, I only had one offer from, from a big, from a D one school. I was offered to play tight end at the, uh, at Illinois state with Denver Johnson being the coach at that time. And I think I was just really under, uh, undersized as 200, 200, 205 pounds. When I got to Illinois, uh, about six foot six one. And, and then I had the, the good fortune of growing, you know, maybe an inch in college, maybe that's six, two, and I got to up to two forty five and, was able to keep maturing and get faster, excuse me. And so um, it was a journey in Illinois though, if we weren't good the first four years at all. And uh, I really had to battle that red shirt freshman year through some injuries and whatnot. And in the red shirt my first year, and I'm glad I did because my fifth year, I ended up uh, going to the Rose Bowl. So that was kind of how it all kind of progressed, whether I thought I'd make the NFL or not. Um, I didn't know that I thought it was definitely a possibility once I got to Illinois. As you graduated from Central, <clears throat> at that point, what did you see yourself doing, uh, you know, for, for a career, for your, for your life? What, what were your expectations and things you were looking at? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I, I knew I didn't want to do manual labor. I had a lawns and I was a paper boy for the News Gazette for years. And um, I just knew that I just, I just didn't want lawns the rest of my life. You know, we, we got up to 70 lawns, the layman lawn service. And I just said, 
is probably not what I want to do. Um, I didn't realize that I was pretty entrepreneurial in my, in my mindset, meaning I, I, you know, I, I would do something for two or three or four years and then, I'd, you know, kind of be like, okay, I want to do something else. And I didn't realize how much I like sales. You know, I, I, one thing, I think there's a gap in the university system is they don't teach you uh, a class on sales. And it's a shame because I would say probably one out of every two athletes goes into sales afterwards. And of course they're, they're going to use their ability to, um, uh, you know, get uncomfortable, go through failure respond but i would i would have loved to have a class university on sales and so i've been in sales uh, most of my life since football's ended uh you know built a couple of different businesses and now doing the same thing in real estate and, and everything else so i didn't know what i wanted to do i'm still trying to figure that out though you know, i'm just trying to figure out what i want to do before i grow up <laughs> seems to me like re real estate can be very unpredictable uh you know there can be all of a sudden a lot of houses on the market and not anybody looking and then <clears throat> a lot of people looking and no houses on the market uh i mean how, how do you deal with times like that well i think what you can predict is your actions every day you know? can you do the activities that's going to take so that when people make a choice to buy or sell a house are you going to be that person and then I work, I personally work, I invest a lot in real estate. And so I work with investors. And so investors are always investing. They could buy one, two, three, four, seven houses in a year where the typical person, they might live in the same house. My parents live in the same house for 45 years. You know, <laughs> um, some people move every seven, eight years, some people move every two or three years. But I think the investor niche has really been powerful for me. All right. We've been talking today with <clears throat> Jay Lehman, former All-American linebacker at the University of Illinois, and now a youth football coach in Muhammad, uh, as well as several other things, a Big Ten analyst. Uh, Jay, any other thoughts or comments you'd like to add before I let you go? I just really like, you know, Fred, that you got me on this. I had some coconut cream pie from Lucky Moon Pies. <laughs> I, I would recommend that. And I had the, the Havana or Cuban sandwich, and it was great. So I uh, want to throw, my, throw a bone in there for old Lucky Moon Pies. It was pretty good. <laughs> Well, you, you can't beat that kind of advertising. Th thanks. Nope. We'll, we'll be in touch. All right, Fred. Thank you.